Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Warren Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alfreda, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today's topic is, should I hire someone with a, a disability? And in in a way, this is an extension of the previous week's topic. Um, should I hire somebody with a, with a criminal background or somebody with a prison record? I forget what the actual title was, but you get the drift. And and the same sort of concept applies that we find ourselves in an unusual, if not unprecedented, scenario in the workforce where we simply have we're finding ourselves with a shortage of, of workers. Um, and al- although this is being felt most acutely in the hospitality sector, um, it is not limited to that. Um, over the course of the last 18 or 17 months or so, I think our society is redefining our relationship with work. I think, at a micro and macro level, many of us are readdressing priorities. And I think we're, 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 we're asking ourselves the question, is it, is it worth it? You know, is, is it worth the effort and the expense to have a two income family? And, and I think with, with people now that have had an opportunity, whether they wanted it or not to, to work from home or withdraw from the workforce for a while in order to meet their family obligations. You know, I I think this goes beyond more than simply the more generous unemployment. I think people are simply asking themselves, you know, was it, was it really worth the extra income to give up what I gave up in terms of being with my family and building the home that I want and doing other things in my life? And I think, I think the answer that some people are, are, are giving is, is no. And some people, I think, are going back to school and they are retraining for a job they think will suit them better. And I think others will simply exit the workforce on a more or less permanent basis, certainly not coming back full time. And as our previous guest, Jeffrey Korzenik, indicated, and I thought that was a very student uh, observation, the size of the American labor force has already been, had already been exhibiting decline since 2010, maybe a little bit earlier. And as so many things in life, coronavirus simply accelerated trends that were already underlying. And so we're now finding ourselves in, as an economy, in a scenario in which um, labor just is not available and plentiful the way that 
we are used to it being. I am 51 years old and I cannot remember a scenario under which it was just so difficult to hire. I've been through, I've been through tight labor markets for sure, but, but this, this is a different animal. Um, and, and so as a result, I think that that decision paths that people would not have ordinarily considered, for example, hiring somebody with a criminal record. And in the case of our topic today, should I hire somebody with a disability? I think whereas, whereas, hi, whereas employers would just simply not have considered that or not have given as heavy consideration to it, I think we're now at a point in our economy where um, if you want to run your business the way you'd like to run it, if you'd like to be as profitable as the way you, and you'd like to grow it, you simply cannot afford to decide right off the bat that you're not going to consider large segments of the population. Um, and that's not ideology. That's just simply arithmetic. Um, when, when the music stops, there just are not enough chairs to go around. In this case, um, not enough workers to go around for employers. And again, we're just not used to seeing that. So this is an extension of that topic. I think, it, again, I hope you'll agree it's a relevant topic. And for those of you maybe who have wondered about hiring um, people with disabilities, maybe how you do it, whether it makes sense to do it, or the, maybe you agree with me and you decide, you know what, I need to give, I need to, you know, even if I wasn't discriminating against the disabled, maybe I wasn't being intentional about doing it. You know, here's a stone that can be overturned that may yield some great opportunities. And and the goal is to help you explore whether or not that's the right path for you. And if it is, then what is the best way to pursue that? So joining us today is Bill Schultz, who is president and CEO of Opportunity Partners. Established in 1953, Opportunity Partners is a Minnesota nonprofit organization that works alongside people with disabilities to provide job training, employment, and residential support for people to live more independently, succeed on the job, and lead lives filled with purpose and meaning. Opportunity Partners serves people with many different types of disabilities. Some examples include autism spectrum disorder, Asperger syndrome, brain injury, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, fetal alcohol syndrome, and many others. Bill joined Opportunity Partners in 2015 as Executive Vice President, Business Development and Operations, overseeing all business services and production operations, identifying new products, processes, and services in community and center-based work. Bill came to Opportunity Partners with more than 20 years' experience in a variety of business leadership positions and was drawn to the organization for its strong mission and history of making a difference in the community. Maybe we should have had you on our, our podcast that we're going to be publishing soon on transitioning to nonprofit. But uh, and Bill, I think I believe you became uh, you became CEO in uh, last year, twenty twenty. Bill Schultz, welcome to the program. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Bill, let's 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 start off easy. I'm sure this is a question that you face that you could answer in your sleep. You must face it all the time. And that question is: make the case that hiring somebody with a disability is a good business decision, not just simply a good social decision. Right. And I, I think you made a, a strong argument, uh, one, just the necessity right now of <clears throat> looking into non-traditional pools that employers might look at. And this is a group that's over, often overlooked. Um, and people with disabilities uh, want to work. It's, the vocation is in the DNA of, of our organization. It was started by a group of parents that wanted to have work for their children. So they bought a house in this small town in Richfield, Minnesota went out and worked with local businesses and brought back work and then 
uh, a few years later, they place their first person in the community because people want to feel normal. And often somebody with a disability is ostracized that way and, and thought of that they, they can't. And we just need to understand they have a wide range of abilities and we need to understand what support they need. They're not different than you or me. We all have skills and can really thrive if we're supported in the right way. So um, these folks are, are very loyal. They're great workers. They, they care. Uh, they can be great teammates. Uh, one of the fun things too, that, um, that we'll hear is it also, also boosts the morale of the other folks that work there. Um, you know, often um, there'll be more, you know, sometimes there's an individual, sometimes there's more than one. And um, I, I think it's, it's a feel good thing and uh, people get to know them and it demystifies um, people with disabilities because some people will be uncomfortable ar- around them. And once they get to know them as, as a person that goes away um, and they'll learn what their interests are and they'll laugh with them. And it, it just buoys things that I've heard that from employers that this is an unexpected benefit that we've had. And there's also some that, you know, you're going to have other workers that might have a child with a disability and also, gives them some hope because, hey, look, there is a, a future for my child because they might be worried about that and, and what does the future hold for them? So those are some things, but, it, you know, for the business owner or the the manager that, that's running that that storefront, it's, I need somebody, I need somebody that's going to be reliable, that I can get there, that I can coach and can do that. There's other things too that we place a lot of people where, because we're having a lot of wage pressure that I don't want to pay someone this higher rate to do something more routine um, and or that employee might not want to do these routine things that someone with a disability might really thrive on. Some people with disabilities in it, we have such a wide variety of diagnoses and, and people, it's just like a wide range of individuals and what their characteristics are, they might really thrive in that. So where one employee might say, this is really mundane and I don't enjoy this, someone with a disability might find this very rewarding and be very good at it. So they can parse out those jobs and focus those other individuals that they're maybe paying a higher wage on those higher skilled areas and have someone with a disability do other things like whether it's picking up boxes and having them recycled, um, moving different things about uh, there's a, there's such a wide range of of duties that that we do. And um, those are just some of the benefits I think of hiring someone. You you brought up something you brought up something I I would not have thought of in a million years, but but my observation certainly bears it out. There is something you know. At least at least Americans love a story where somebody overcomes a disability to overcome something. Right? There's been something on the news recently about I think a a, a golfer with Down syndrome that I guess is having some success, and mm-hmm. and you know there's all it seems like every other month there's a a, a great story on ESPN. You know, somebody that maybe was the 15th person in the basketball team had a mental disability and they put him in sort of at the end of at the end of the right. last game of the season, something right. And everybody just sort of goes berserk. There, there is there is sort of that element and in contrast, in contrast with, you know, the prior show that we did, I guess really two shows ago, not last show, not last show on, uh, you know, should we dip into the pool of people with criminal records, um, you know, where there's a there's a. There, there are people that, you know, they, they did something to, to earn that uh, or to receive that, um, that distinction. 
whereas as opposed to people that are that are handicapped or are disabled um chances are very good that they did nothing to do that you know they they're born with that bad luck you know generally bad luck basically right and there's a there's just a there's a different there's a very different attitude towards that and i i can see how under the right circumstances under the right leadership that somebody a dis, somebody who's disabled on a team can actually become a rallying point Absolutely. The other thing is, you know, these folks are really genuine. They're curious about you. Um, there's no pretense with individuals. Um, they want to get to know you. And, and um, it's just, it's another thing that people, once they get comfortable, and again, some people are just uncomfortable because they're unique. Um, and we can, you know, our organization will do training for people and just talk through it. And that really allows people to relieve their anxiety and, and build that relationship with a person and help support them in their role. Cause they'll need support like anyone else. And one of the things that we've seen where people are really successful. So we offer job coaching and that's one of the things that employers should know too, that whatever state you're in, we're in Minnesota, most states are going to have organizations like opportunity partners with job development and they come with a job coach. So this is a free support that comes with this individual that the business doesn't have to pay for and they can help with onboarding. They can help with training. We go out and, you know, those first few days we're there, the full shift with them, helping them get onboarded. We'll create checklists for them. um, Talk with the manager about, you know, getting to know because everyone's different and they're going to have different behaviors and things like that. So it's just a real benefit for someone, um, to, to onboard um, that individual and, and help them be successful and also demystify it even for other employees on how to interact with the, with the individual. You know, and I'm curious about one thing because your, 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 your organizational profile says you work with people with uh, who are on the autism spectrum and have Asperger's syndrome. What, what if anything was the impact of Elon Musk's Saturday night live monologue in which he disclosed that he indeed, uh, has Asperger's syndrome. Is that, is that, is that bringing conversations to you? Is it changing conversations to really to tell, I mean, what, what do you think about that? Well, I, th- I thought it was great. And, uh, you know, just the buzz around it that again, it's just making it more acceptable and, and l- letting people know there's so many people with disabilities and, and we have a wide range of abilities and, you know, everybody you work with, you know, there's, there's likely someone with something that's, that's challenging them the folks we support, you know, are just more apparent, more obvious. Um, so it's visible and Elon just normalized it for people and also say, look, look what I can accomplish. And I'm on the spectrum and people with autism spectrum disorder, also Asperger's, um, which is just typically higher functioning are wildly successful and technology firms are discovering this. And and there's lots of them that are reaching out to this pool because with some minor modifications, like, you know, often a technology office will have a wide open workspace. This individual might have some sensory issues where they need even their office or high wall cubed, but they're fantastic at coding or they're fantastic at software analysis. I mean, things that other individuals wouldn't pick out. Um, So again, just the wide spectrum of people that come to us, you know, we'll place them in technology jobs or different things like that that are well suited for their skills and what their where their interests lie. But there's also, you know, a lot of traditional programs like um, post secondary education 
isn't well suited for people on the spectrum. So they, they fall through the cracks and there's just such a, a wide group of underemployed, talented individuals that we really need to figure out a way to support and get them trained and then educate employers on how to, to bring them on board and help them be a valuable asset. And, and you know, on the tech side, I can, I can actually attest to that. I have a relative who uh, does has been diagnosed Asperger's syndrome and he in fact is a software engineer. And he is, yeah. they do make accommodations for him. Not overly heavy in my mind, actually, but, but, but he is fantastically successful and they're just never going to let him go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, and, and the good news is that people with Asperger's syndromes don't particularly like change either. So it's actually, no, a, it's, it's actually a, a scenario that works extremely well for them. Yeah. So I, I can tell you this from my own, from my own experience is that somebody who has, who has uh, weaknesses related to disability elsewhere, interpersonal reactions, relations, that sort of thing. But in terms of his ability to, to, to produce code, I mean, he's apparently, I'm not an engineer, but for all accounts, he's not good. He's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's not an uncommon story. And it's business to have to be open to it. And people, I think one of the big um, myths out there is, there's a liability or um, there's expensive accommodations that need to be made. Um, and that's just not the case. Um, so I think it's just learning, you know, obviously a business owner can just dip their toes in the water and go and talk with an organization and learn more and meet some of the individuals. Um, and really, I think get comfortable with that. I, I think one of the biggest things is we, uh, we support people with, the job coaches. So we can help people, we can help train them and, and, and be that gap. And maybe people are worried about disciplinary things. We can come in and have the meeting with the manager and the individual and work through challenges. If that becomes an, a, a thing, or, you know, I can't fire this individual. Well, yes, you can. Um, that's, that's not a, a, a worry. And we can help with that too. And other organizations will do the same thing. Uh, typically it's a process like anybody else, right? You sit down and you kind of talk over, well, you're not doing this, or we had this incident, we can't do that. Um, and we work through improvement. And one thing that goes back to the point you made earlier, just the challenge, we're actually finding employers be a lot more tolerant and give more tries on, on things because of the challenge. Um, and they see that this individual is trying and it's not, it's just something that they that we need to work through and, and help them understand because it's often just something new that comes up that was kind of unexpected and we, we helped them sort of through it. So that, that's, I think a big thing is just thinking that, um, that there isn't a liability and, you know, it's not expensive to, to bring on one of these people. There's not a lot of accommodations that you're gonna have to make that are gonna be hard for the organization to support. So it's, it's obviously it's important to the individual, it's important to society and, you know, can be a benefit to a company to, hire somebody with a disability and, and, you know, give them a job, make them productive, et cetera. <clears throat> Do governments offer any special incentives that you're aware of to hire somebody who's disabled Are governments helping offset training costs or hiring costs or wages, anything like that, that you're aware of? Yeah. The, well, I know the state of Minnesota does. There's uh, a, a tax break for, for employers that do. So I just recommend a business owner uh, go out. I think it's, it's $9,600, um, a year and a tax break uh, and they can, no matter the number that they hire. Um, so I, I would just recommend that they reach out to their employment economic office of their state and, and look and see if they're doing something similar. We even have, we have counties within Minnesota too. They'll offer something on top of that. Um, 
So you can even check with the county in which your business is and see if they'll offer some kind of grants. Sometimes it's for onboarding and, and there'll be like an onboarding grant and then a retention grant that they'll get a couple cash payments for. Well, I'd like to ask a question that, 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 that popped up and this may, this may be an unfair question, but I think you can handle it. And that is that I have an observation that coronavirus in effect made some employees effectively disabled, not necessarily from a mental standpoint, although that may be the case, but I think they simply became impaired because the demands that were placed on them outside the workplace simply did not allow them to be their best selves at work as they ordinarily would have been. And frankly, I am one of them. Um, uh, my work-life balance has changed as I have become a homeschooling father and you know, tried to help my wife realize her goals of starting her business. And that just means I, can't, I cannot work 15 hours a day and accomplish those things. Um, really can't work 12 on a regular basis, frankly. And, you know, as I think about our organization and, and people that, that have had to kind of step back and others have covered for them, I kind of wonder if, if the coronavirus experience maybe has made us collectively a little more understanding of individual people's limitations, whether they come from, they, th- those limitations may happen because of, a, of an actual disability that they have or the limitations may be environmental, but the net impact is the same, I think. Um, I'm curious if you think that maybe coronavirus and just seeing lots of people have, have had their lives upended and therefore they're not able to be their best professional selves. Do you think that's led to greater empathy towards the disabled that have kind of had to live with not being, kind of had to live with having a different baseline, if you will, of performance than their peers? Yeah, I, I think it's probably a mixed case, and it kind of depends on the, the individual, not the disabled individual, but the other individual, because what I've seen from coronavirus is, it, to your point, it can make people more empathetic to others and the challenges that they're facing and see that. But I've also seen fatigue with corona and a lot of people hitting the wall and saying, I've already got so much capacity I need to do a little self-care and I need to dial back a little bit on how I'm supporting others. So I've seen a little bit of both of that. Um, uh, so I, I think it, I think one thing that's helped us a little bit is actually some of the social unrest and that we've seen with some of the, the different, um, well, in Minnesota specifically with George Floyd and yeah. Dante Wright. Um, but it's, it's across, you know, across the country, unfortunately, that you'll see a lot more talk around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And some organizations will put people with disabilities in there. And we're trying to get more people to think about that because I think that's really important thing to help open people's eyes more so than COVID is Korean. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm not thinking about that. And that's something that we as an organization should really think about um, is how do we do this? Cause it does, you know, when they're trying to do a diversity, equity, and inclusion, it it's, shouldn't be to do a checkbox. It's because they see the value that these individuals bring in different life, different life experiences, and they're going to add value. and They're going to make the, the organization stronger. I, I equate it to the United States. I think one of the reasons we're so strong is we're not homogeneous, right? We're a melting pot of people from all over with brilliant entrepreneurs from around the world, and it, it makes us a, a great 
uh, country and um, I think a diverse organization, you're going to get the same benefit and seeing that being pushed forward, I think will help people open up to people with disabilities and think of them as that way too. And of course, people that have intellectual developmental disabilities or physical disabilities um, come in all colors as well. So, sure. So, um, in, 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 you know, you've been with this organization for, you know, six years, presumably, or five years and change, maybe. I'm not sure the exact yeah. months, but are you aware of, of any data that measures how well disabled or employees with disabilities have performed relative to their peers that do not have such disabilities? They tend to perform as well, a little worse, a little better pretty much the same How, in your experience kind of what what have the results been yeah i don't know if there's uh analytics around it but i i can say that it's um the best way to equate it is all around individuals and i'd say by and large they're generally like the population you have people that are great and, and people that have different struggles and just need to find the right fit sometimes they go into one specific job and you know you might try out that um uh, I want to be a, a lawyer, but gosh, I'm a terrible lawyer. And really I, I want to go be a chef. Um, so it's the same kind of thing of finding the right fit for the individual, whether they have a, a disability or not is really where we see it. We do see um, more employers opening up. So we're definitely seeing a huge impact or a, a huge growth um, with people being placed out in the community. Um, so that's, that's certainly in, in the data and we, we see more and more of it. There's just more demand, um, and we really are working with individuals to, to find that. Um, and, and now, obviously, with employers, there was with obviously with COVID, a lot of businesses shut down and, and some jobs were lost. But that that's rebounding like crazy, like it is around around the country. So I think you know um, one thing I especially so we place a lot of people in um, like fast foods or dishwashers or housekeeping cashier stocking, I think one thing you'll see a trend of that's that's higher in someone with an intellectual developmental disability than maybe your typical person that might be in this position is longevity. So that's one attribute that I think you're going to see more loyalty there. Um, and you also see a lot of reliability. I think one thing that um, employers need to understand when they're, when they're and, and to think about this, is typically the folks we place don't work eight hours a day. Hmm. Um, there can be income limits based on their benefits. And that's something that that employer can always work with a job coach and say, how many hours can this person work? Because there's often a misunderstanding by the person that has a disability or their guardian and to which how much they can make. So maybe hmm. they can work 32 hours a week and they just need to, to work through that. The other thing is a lot of our folks don't necessarily drive. Some people do. It depends on where they are um, within that, that range of ability. So they're taking public transportation or sometimes this, the state has a, a transportation. And that system can have some tolerance to it that, you know, they might have to show up a little bit early or a little bit late. And just so the under, you know, the employer educates themselves as to what's happening. So an appearance doesn't look like, oh my gosh, this guy's late again. And it could be that, you know, he's setting up a ride with the local state agency and there's drivers, you know, they got to figure out the route or whatever it is. So they can talk with that job coach and really help sort those things out. Um, so I think that that's something just for people to be aware of is 
you know, typically they're going to be part-time. I would say on average there it's 20 hours a week. And, um, but that can be also really helpful because a lot of times, you know, if I'm at a, a fast food restaurant, my busy shifts are, you know, the, this window and I only want you to work this hour and or these hours and I, I don't need you otherwise. And they also, most of the folks um, aren't going to ask for benefits because they're, they're getting the benefits. So that can be a, a benefit for some business owners. So is there anything that the disabled tend to bring to the table um, because of, of their experience, their life experience um, that may distinguish them from more conventional job candidates? And you mentioned longevity as one. Are, are, there, are there other ways that, that you know, in some ways, maybe hiring somebody with a disability, you know, may result actually in a superior employee on, on average? Yeah, I think, uh, again, you're just talking about individuals. So there's sure. a wide range of, of, of that. But again, it's I think the one thing that you might see is some of the tasks that someone you've hired off the street is really not very productive at because they're really bored with it. And so they're going to be slower where you can bring in someone in, with a disability that they gravitate to that responsibility and they're going to be just incredible at it. Um, we, we also do what's called support employment teams where we're the employer of record and a, a lot of other organizations will do this. We call them support employment teams. Lots of organizations call them enclaves. So they come to a business, um, the organization will be paid by the business and then we pay those individuals, but we show up and do the work. And, uh, we work, for example, at one of the plants at, for General Mills here in the Twin Cities, and this is hard work. So we're repackaging uh, and, and making mixes for baked goods, frozen baked goods. So it's a cold environment, fast paced, heavy boxes. And you go in there and they are replacing um, temps that they hire with us because the temps they get, the quality of temps, just we outperform them um, and we're more reliable. Uh, so all those things, are, you know, are, can be attributed to to someone that might hire an individual because we're it's well suited. The folks that are there work really hard, and it is. I mean, Mike, if if you went there, you'd be exhausted. And we're there six hours a day, five days a week. Um, so I think those things are just considerations for businesses. So you you mentioned something that I, I'd like to I'd like to dig a little deeper into because I, I I think it's important, and you tell me if it's not obviously, but one of a sort of subtext of what you're of what you're describing is that many many employees with a disability have a a support system around them that deeply wants them to succeed in that in that job right i mean that that's that's their purpose in life you ain't doing it for the money right you're doing it because you think it's you think it's important i'm sure and your colleagues think that it's important and you know um there are a lot of of uh, non-disabled employees that would benefit from the same thing, <laughs> that would benefit from focus and paying attention and showing up to work on time and basic rules and and also, you know, a, a work etiquette and also when things aren't going well, how do you how do you sort of handle that? Who do you vent to, et cetera? And it just strikes me that the benefit of having that, just that, that kind of support structure must be a massive advantage. Mm -hmm. 
because it's like it's like you know imagine if as a manager you know if i had an you know an employee that i wanted to cultivate and keep on the right track if you know i i in a professional sense i would love to go home with that employee and sort of be around them 24/7 or have my structure around them 24/7 i cannot but but somebody with a disability may very well have somebody like you in your organization that does that and what an awesome benefit yeah it's uh, true. I mean, uh, to your point, there's two things. One, so we'll place someone in, a, in an organization and the manager will see what we're doing for that person. One, we bring them on, we help them on board. Uh, we'll go in and check on them occasionally. We'll check with the manager. How are things going? What do we need to work on? What do they need to work on? Help the manager um, understand the individual and how to best coach them. If something comes up, we're there. Um, and we've had managers say, Hey, I've got this person that could maybe use your services or the services. Um, so within the the state of Minnesota, that that individual just needs to go to the um, employment uh, office. Uh, what is it? Extended employment office here and say, you know, demonstrate the need, whether it's a disability or just the need for support, and they can often qualify for a certain number of hours of service to help that. So that does happen. Um, and we also, we obviously offer support for people that are living in their homes. So it's not just employment, but they need help organizing their bills because we're trying to keep people in their homes. That's the most cost effective way for a government. You know, if, if someone's not living in, in a house or an apartment program where they're paying, paying a higher rate for that. Um, so we do a lot of that support as well, just whether it's socialization, managing their medical appointments, medications, bills, um, all those different things we, you know, we try to encompass the full life if, if that's needed for the individual, just to help them be successful. And you're right. Just a little bit of coaching and support goes just such a long ways in making that individual successful. And, you know, as, as an aside, I, you know, I, I just have to say, you said something about how important it is to keep people in a home. I've, I've read numerous studies that the biggest inflection point to preventing sort of a disastrous social outcome is making sure people stay in a home because once once somebody's homeless, it's at least ten times harder to kind of reverse that mm-hmm. and and get them off that track. So um, good for you on that. So I'm going to change tack in the question here because I, I you know I want to cover both sides of this of this con- this issue here, and and what I want to ask is you know, what 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 defines or what characterizes an organization that maybe is not a good fit for somebody with a, with a disability. And, and, and I'll preface this, that may be a confusing question. So to make it a little bit clearer, you know, I'm sure that you don't have a hundred percent or a 1000 batting average. You don't have a hundred percent success with every candidate. And I'm sure that in every case where the, the, there has not been success, I'm sure it has not always been the candidates fault, right? There may be some organizations that simply don't have the infrastructure, culture, understanding, whatever it is to properly onboard, manage, and cultivate somebody with a disability. So, so that's a long-winded way of simply getting to the question of, you know, what, what's, a, what's a warning sign of an organization that might have some work to do on itself before it really would be a good, a, a good place to find a professional or a working home for somebody with a disability. Sure. 
Um, I kind of see that in, in two questions. So I want to answer the, the first part. I think when you're looking at an individual with a disability and what, what might not be a good fit, it's like any position you're going to hire for anyone. Um, and does that individual have the right skill set to meet the needs of the job? Because you could hire somebody and it's like, um, I need you to be an engineer. And if they don't have any background in engineering, you're going to, they're going to fail. So if you're going to hire someone with a disability that maybe has a mobility issue um, and you're in a warehouse environment with forklifts flying around yeah. and they might be crossing that traffic, that might not be a good fit for the individual, but there's also going to be a job coach that's going to say, yeah, probably not a good fit for this individual. So I think that's one thing is just, it's going to depend, it's going to depend on that person. Um, one of the things that we've seen where um, I think businesses are successful with one, having an open mind and flexibility around the individuals. And we see this grow over time because businesses will try typically be either jaded. They had a bad experience and it didn't work out and they won't give it a second try. It's just like if, Oh, if I had a bad employee, I'm not ever hiring another employee again. Well, that's not going to work for your business. Right. So I would say, you know, open your mind and, and just work with that organization, the job coach to understand what it needs to support that person. Because we'll see that, um, that be successful. And then that business will want to hire more because they can see the success in it. Another area where like, this is an example of a fast food where we had someone working at a well-known fast food place and wildly successful. This individual has some specific behaviors that would be triggered, but the manager understood those, knew how to deescalate things, never happened in front of customers, but they could handle it well. Well, um, this manager went on vacation and they had somebody come in somewhere else, this person had that trigger, showed the, that behavior to that manager. And the manager said, this isn't tolerable. You're fired. So they fired somebody that had worked there for years hmm. and just because they didn't understand. So there wasn't proper training on that handover is one thing that we'll see um, where, you know, you've got a good employee. They just act in a unique way in certain situations. And that person knew how to handle it. This person didn't. And the way they reacted was to terminate the employee. So, so, so that's interesting. It, so, it sounds to me that, in particular, if you're gonna, if you are an organization that maybe doesn't have a lot of experience or history with hiring people with disabilities, that it may be a good idea to pave the way for that with some sort of training, I guess, right? Because Absolutely. you do have to, you do have to manage differently. You may even need to alter your culture to some extent. Yep. Yeah. We'll we'll do. Training sometimes they'll just want to have the direct manager do it. Um, we also did um, we did a, a grant initiative to help understand where some of the barriers. And one of the things we learned was it's really helpful. And maybe you've had this experience. So you go into a new job, right? And you're trying to figure out things. Um, how you know where's the coffee maker? What's the culture like? How would what does this happen? And your relationship is just with your manager, and you want to have that relationship. So if you can bring on somebody with a disability and, and it goes with any employer and have like a mentor for them. That's not their manager. They have someone to go to that's, you know, they can ask any kind of question to, and, and also just another support for that individual that really helped them be successful. Um, one of the things we also did was um, we had funding where we paid the wages. So one of the biggest barriers is employers haven't done it and there's a, a, a risk of, Oh, I don't want to do this. So we would say, okay, here's basically an internship. And we're going to pay the wages for this individual 
for three weeks. You try it. It doesn't work out. You know, they just walk away. And we had, I think, 80% of the people were hired um, after that three, those three weeks. So it's just getting over that initial concern. And really, we need to demystify that if you hire someone with disability, you can't fire them because of discrimination. That's just not the case. Um, and again, usually the organization is going to come with a job coach. I would certainly recommend that. I think it just is going to make the individual and the business successful. And they can help you um, take that, you know, remove that person if it's just not going to be right fit and they can find something else. What's a favorite success story that, that your organization has had with an individual that, you know, it's just been a great experience. Maybe you have a ton of them you can't pick, but I hope you can pick one. Cause I would like to, I would like to give our audience an understanding kind of what the ceiling looks like. Um, well, Holy cow. There's such a, a wide range. Um, we have somebody that's, um, a certified nurse assistant at the VA. I think that's, that's been a real success. Um, someone, you know, we place people again with autism that, and maybe they don't need as much support in, in technology jobs. And, you know, it's funny cause they're making way more money than their job coach is making, <laughs> yeah. um, which is, which is fine. Um, I think right. one of the, the success stories that I like is we have a lot of people that come to us just for job development and we'll go out in the community. We have other people that come to our, we have locations and they'll come to us for work and, and they work for us. Um, or they come for enrichment. And we had somebody that came into us really severe autism and basically wouldn't even make eye contact with people and just had his nose in a book. Um, a big guy, he's like six, four, um, a couple hundred pounds, um, not very verbal. And we just worked with him over years and he wanted to work. His, his dream was to work at Potbelly was, was really his goal. And we worked with him and just slowly developed these skills where he could interact with people and got him, you know, more and more skills. And then we were able to, to get him a job at pop belly where he worked uh, cleaning um, the, the area where you eat. So that is just one of the, the great stories, I think, because it just shows anybody with the right supports can be successful. It just depends on where they're starting from. And uh, that was just a great story to see because, he came through so many challenges and the perseverance of our, of our team to get him there and, and fulfill his goal of working at pop belly was really exciting. We're talking with Bill Schultz, who's president and CEO of opportunity partners. And the topic is, should I hire someone with a disability? Um, so um, another question I'm, I'm sure that our audience would like to get an understanding of is um, what are some, what are some best practices in terms of, of working with an employee with, with a disability. We've talked sort of in, in generalities in terms of being uh, flexible. I'm sure patience is part of it. But I think those are, I think those are features of a company. But in terms of, in terms of best practices and, and, and for day-to-day management to maximize the, that person's value and performance, do, do you have any best practices you can share? Sure. I think that the biggest thing is they're coming with the job coach, um, be open with the job coach, let them, there'll be some different corporate policies that will either, we wouldn't be able to access their schedule or get access to them on site or talk with their, their manager, because I think that's just so successful. We can say, here's, here's John and John's going to have these kind of um, behaviors or challenges. And this is how you might handle this situation. What are the things you want John to do? Let's go over that. They will develop that checklist for that individual um, and work with them on those things and say, okay, 
if John's going to have downtime, how does he handle downtime? Because John might not know what to do if, if there's not, so he needs some kind of direction. So they'll work through those warning things. So I, I think it, it's really important to know that, um, that working with the job coach is just going to steepen your learn, your learning curve so much and, and make that individual and that business more successful in, in doing that. Kudos to you, by the way, for using steeping the learning, learning curve correctly. Most people don't. That drives me crazy. So well done. You, <laughs> get, a, you. you get a you get a decision vision gold star. Um, so are there, you know, you're in Minnesota. Do you have a fit? Do you work across the country or are you regional? And if so, are, are there other organizations in different parts of the country that can help with more localized um, potential opportunity matches? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we're uh, we're in uh, just in Minnesota, but there are all kinds of organizations just like ours um, across the country. Great organizations that will will offer. They can just search, you know, disability um, organization, and and they will find those. Um, they just, you know, Google will be their friend. Now we talked a little bit. We talked a little bit about um, you know what what kind of of environments may not be optimal for hiring. Uh, somebody with a disability. And I'm curious to that. You know, I, I think a lot of us, just because they're visible, we tend to associate the disabled with, uh, with food service, hospitality, um, retail to some extent. Is, is that by accident or are there certain industries that's, that tend to be a better match than others? Well, those are, those are, are pretty common. It's, it's across the board though. Um, you know, it's, it's retail, um, I mean, we have like we have an IT tech specialist that works for the Minnesota Department of Health. Um, we have people that work for the uh, transportation department. We have people that work at Lane Bryant or a rehabilitation center, retirement communities. Um, boy, it's just it's all over the place. But restaurants, convenience stores, those are you know stocking is, is pretty you know whether it's that uh, manufacturing is really pretty common. Hmm. Um, so all kinds of different manufacturers, you know, light industrial, things like that, where there usually is some kind of support. Um, and again, doing those tasks that they don't want to have those higher paid uh, skilled workers doing um, so they can offboard uh, that work and really focus those people on doing those things. Bill, we're, uh, we're, we're running out of time and we, you know, I have questions I'd hope to ask, but we're not going to get to, but um if, if somebody listening has a question that they want to address or maybe go deeper than we were able to in a question we did cover, um, is there a way that are you willing to talk to them? And if so, how can people contact you for more information about this topic? For sure. Just have them reference my name, uh, Bill, and, and email info at opportunities, that's plural, dot org. Very good. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Bill Schultz so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.